broadcasting live out of a basement in Appleton, Wisconsin. You're tuned in to Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio. We're the show that gives you an opportunity to call in and be a part of the show. Our call in line is 920-358-0795. Core. Really excited about today's show. If you joined us a few weeks ago, you would have seen photographer Dave Jackson from Jackson and Company, and I'm really, really happy to let you know that he's back to co-host today's show. Dave, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. How does it feel to be back in the saddle after a few weeks? Love it. This might be a, reg- this might be a regular <laughs> thing for you. Might be. Let's do it. Um, well, let's talk quickly. So Jackson and Company, if, like, it's a great kind of one-stop shop for photography and and video stuff here in Appleton. Where are you located? So we're down in the the Edison Center, which is in the Flats, um, 101 West Edison Avenue in Appleton. Awesome. And if people are looking for, like, photos, how can people engage with? Uh, Just usually social media is great. Um, Also, my website, uh, davidejackson.com. And, uh, yeah, we just do majority of the work that we do is, um, commercial advertising work, but I, I do quite a bit of, uh, band and musician work as well. So awesome. I'm the guy that you are. And, uh, let's get on to the, the guest, the main man today. Uh, my next guest got involved in the music scene by being a rock photographer. He's taken photos of Metallica, Tool and Motorhead, just to name a few. He currently hosts Meat Man Chronicles, a story slam once a month up in the Green Bay area. I'd like to welcome Marty Sosnowski to Fox City's Court. Marty, how are you doing today? Oh, it's an honor to be here at Code Zero Radio. We're here in the studio. This is so awesome. And I want to thank you for what you do for our community and the music in our community. This is a, Since I've learned about this radio station, this is awesome. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. And you, you've, you've got a busy day ahead of you because you've got a story slam coming up tonight which i do i do have a story slam tonight we have another story slam tonight in green bay at the cheesecake heaven right almost on it's on oneida street 2075 south oneida street just a little block and a half down from lambeau field our what is a story slam a lot of people don't know what a story slam is a story slam is a gathering of people in the community that come and tell stories true stories about their life from their community. So I pick a theme every month, we gather together to tell stories, and then we have prizes for first, second, and third place, and all kinds of fun games we play for people to win prizes. And it's so much fun, it's so much fun. If you wanna learn about your community, come to the Story Slam, come and tell a story. It's so awesome. I got a, I got to attend last month and it was a lot of fun. I went up there with my wife and just heard lots of stories and yeah, I, I want to get into how like the story slam, how you got involved in that. But first of all, let's let's talk about how you got involved in in the music scene. Oh, it, I am. It, it's one of the reasons that I do the story slams is because I have had the greatest life. I've been such a lucky person that it's hard to believe. Because I'll try to make it as short as I can. But I I spent my high school year, my junior high and high school years, is when we moved to Appleton, Wisconsin, which was in the early, late '60s. We moved here. Ended up 
I wasn't doing well. I didn't fit in. I, I, it was just one of those kind of things. I was an outcast kid in those days, and it didn't go well for me. Ended up getting kicked out of the Appleton public school system in 1974 when I was a junior in high school. I skipped the whole year of school almost before I got caught. It's an incredible and, story, too. <laughs> and, the, and they ended up kicking me out of the public school system, which is hard to get done in those. I mean, you, you, it's hard to get kicked, but I got kicked out. <laughs> And ended up at Xavier, which was another fiasco. To to you take the take the outcast kid and put him into a Catholic high school, and, but you know they took my parents' money and so they took me in, and it was a total disaster. Ended up so I I I went down the typical road of a Wisconsin kid who was an outcast, just ended up being a druggie and really got into alcohol, and then that just. And so that part of my life ended with finding my two roommates dead in a garage in 1977. And that's really where my life changed. And it took a lot of years to, to, to manifest itself into, I was always a music guy, I had a love for music, like, and it was just always in my heart, but never really knew how to act on it. And then one day I picked up a camera because I just wanted to start capturing some of the music things that I was going to see in those days. You didn't have to have photo passes and just found that I had a knack for it and pursued that into going back to college. Graduated with a 3.59 grade point average, which I was extremely proud of, and then went on to start photographing bands, and it, and it worked for me. And I'm so lucky that I got to do what I got to do. And, um, but one of the things was, is I consider myself lucky that I was right at the end of the film era and that made it so much easier to make money because there were so few people allowed to photograph concerts in those days that if you could get the pat, you could make money. It, and it wasn't that hard because there weren't as many people that had the photos. And if you were good at what you did and if you were responsible and could get the work to the people that needed it, you had all the work you wanted to do. So were you learning on the fly, or how did you learn? I'm, I'm guessing the first few sh shows that you shot were bad because you're dealing with different lighting and things like that. Yeah, I, I kind of learned the craft before I went to college, in a way. I, I started out working for uh, Zivco's Ballroom. I think that's kind of what you have to do, though, is yeah. to, like, sweat out that craft a little bit. You yeah. Know? It, you know, and it... And had I not done that, I probably wouldn't have gotten as far as, because it was, it was honing the craft that made me go, you know, I, I, in those days I was reading the Kerrang! magazines. Man, I loved Kerrang! And all of a sudden I started looking at my pictures and the pictures in Kerrang! and went, well, wait a minute, I'm getting pretty good at this and wow, somebody's making money doing this. And that's kind of what started leading me down that path. And my first gig was working for uh, Zivco's Rock and Roll Palace down in Hartford, Wisconsin and shooting pictures because it came to the day where you started having to get photo passes. And then I was out and I was like, well, I got to find it. That's really what, what really started it. Because I had to try like to figure out how to get photo passes. I think that's like a different landscape these days. Shooting bands and access because every like I some of the shows I've been to, it's just like there's like 20 photographers in the pit. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's so different now. It's, it's so different. Yeah, I think I think back then maybe you had to work a little bit harder for those passes, or you, you did because they were very limited. Yeah. You know, very limited to what you could get. But so. I just went to Zivco's and asked them, you know, I'd started showing them some of the pictures I was taking and were they interested in, in uh, giving me a job 
shooting pictures for their for their walls of their of the a club and that was kind of how I first got started and my very first I think my very first gig for them was a Motorhead concert and it was the <laughs> Orgasmatron tour and it was the Cro-Mags and Motorhead and how I mean I could have quit right there I could have quit right there and just said that's it I've done what more could I want to do it was so awesome to be there in those days and, and witness all the, the Cro-Mags were a bunch of teenagers yeah. I am jealous of your your, your career <laughs> the stuff you got to see I was do. a lucky guy yeah. I really was so how long did you do the photography well, really, I mean, from from starting then till you know, I ran, which was I, I think the first shows I did for Zivco were probably in about eighty one, eighty two, maybe something like that, and then went all the way through you know two thousand one, two thousand two, you know, but but the bulk of it was really through the nineties where I really made money, you know, where I was working hard and I lived, I was living down in Cincinnati, and. It, there was money to be made, and the alternative scene had just exploded. And I was did, I was working hard and doing a lot of work. And you know, it's one of the things that I also like to tell people about: as much, as lucky as I was, and as much fun as I had, and it was something that I understand about what Dave does: is no matter how much fun that is, it's still work. And it's still, if you don't work hard, you're not going to get anywhere. And I'm sure that people who play in bands, you, you know that. Yeah. That's you gotta. It's it's way harder work than you ever think it's gonna be. But wow, ten thousand hours. What a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of hours. Ten thousand hours plus uh, plus a little bit of talent equals luck. So my mentor always said, "You gotta have <laughs> you, the talent. You, you gotta you gotta put you got you gotta put in those hours and you gotta you know it doesn't come easy. It never came easy for me. I no. st when I started, I struggled. I'm sure you felt the same way. Absolutely. Right? You were just like you you know you don't know what the heck you're you doing you don't you and know. you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from it's not yeah. like you're working for a company that you're going to get a check yeah. next week it's like well still I that gotta, way for me yeah. to this day and know? in my in my day <laughs> really? i had to i had to find the shows set up the photo passes myself you saw it was a, it was so much time on the phone in those days and in those days i'm aging myself again but you were paying for long distance phone calls and stuff like that and all that stuff talking to people it was really kind of crazy so how did you go about finding like the publicists to to contact for the the photo passes you know what it it it, it, it was one of the things that was kind of unusual about the business that i never was like this and it's one of the reasons dave and i are so similar in this way all the photographers that I would talk to, nobody would tell you <laughs> how, who to contact, what to do. I went That's to college. That's the guarded secret. <laughs> I went to college, and I just learned through trial and error. And, and if you have the talent and you work hard enough, you'll figure it out. You know? And you'll start building relationships. Yep. The relationship aspect of it is huge. It was. You know? it, it was huge. Once you have relationships going, yep. people, you know, they're your allies and... Yeah, you know they're going to help you out, and I think that was almost even more so true in the film days because, from the time that I took the photograph till it got on the person's desk that wanted it, it was days. Even at, no matter how fast I got it done, because you, I had to go to the dark room, had to get the photos printed, get the right stuff done, get it in the in the FedEx box and send it to the people, and they had to get it on their desk, and hopefully they were happy That's with it. That's completely beyond my scope. <laughs> <laughs> like like my clients, are like can can, you, can I have this in like forty five seconds from right now? <laughs> it's the world we live in. We, we might have some people watching that are wondering, where did the name Meat Man come from? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, 
it, I'm, I'll try to condense this down as quick as I can make it. But it, the, the Meat Man actually was born right in Green Bay. And it was in 19... Oh, I can't remember the exact year, 80-something. And there was a famous concert of, of Metallica, Wasp, and Armored Saint that played at the old Carlton West in Green Bay. And in those days, man, I mean, I was in my early 20s, and I was just really in. And I wanted to see Wasp so bad. This was their first American tour, and I'd been reading all the Krang magazines, and here's Blackie Lawless with these steaks hanging out of his mouth and blood flying everywhere, and I'm going like, I can't wait to see these guys. Then they got wrapped up in the PMRC thing. And clubs said that they wouldn't let them bring raw meat to the shows. But we didn't, we, I really didn't think that they would actually follow that rule. So I went to see them and I'm already, and there was nothing. And nothing. And I was so disappointed. I was like, are you kidding me? And my friend Shane Krieger from Appleton Imports and my brother were standing right next to me. And we looked at each other and I said, you know what? The next time we go to see these bands, we're bringing our own damn meat with us. And we'll show them about throwing meat. And it took a, quite a few years before I ever did it. I think it was like a 10-year span. It was probably, you know, in the 90s when I was working down in Cincinnati and uh, I see Wasp was coming to town. And by this time, I hated Wasp. But I, told, I called my brother up and I called Shane up and I said, hey, remember what we said we were going to do? I said, they're coming to town. And so that's, so we went and we threw meat at them. And, and that, was, that was the meat man was born. Is that a, like, you were like kind of organizing sneaking in meat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, if we would have had the internet in those days, the Sin City Meat Throwers would have just been like the biggest group of rock fans that there ever could have been. Because we ended up probably having about 100 people around us that were totally into what we were doing. We, we would go to shows, and we would pick and choose shows. It wasn't like we did it. At, you know, I had to be careful because I was working in the business. And I also had some ethics in journalism. Like, you know, you don't want to be the story that you're covering. You can't, you can't do that. I can't go to a show and make something happen and then cover that like it was news because I did it, you know. So <laughs> I had to be pretty careful. And for a long time, even the people that I was working for at the magazines, local magazines in that area didn't know that that was me that was, that was coordinating the meat throwing. But, yeah, I used to, I used to uh, carry two tripod bags around with me. And I never had a tripod in my life, but they were stuffed full of meat. And I would bring them into the shows with my passes through the back door and then distribute the meat to all the meat throwers that were in the crowd. God, we a had great so idea. much fun. We had so much fun. How did, how did the bands, like, how did they react? When there, was, oh, there, was, <laughs> there was a total plethora of things that could happen. There was people that hated it. And... Um, one of the bands, but there were there were there were bands that just totally embraced it. The Toll was a band out of Columbus, Ohio, that was signed to Geffen Records. That they just loved it. They they had a they had a uh, uh, in their in their uh, practice area they had a butcher's thing of a cow so they could identify cuts of meat that were getting thrown on stage. And one time they started their tour in Cincinnati and they were touring with the Ramones and they asked us to bring the meat in the packages so they could pick it. So they brought coolers out on stage and then we would throw stuff and the roadies would go out and get the stuff and throw it in the coolers and then they took so, it on the road with so them. So they to, could to feed cook. themselves. Yeah. But then there were bands that hated it. Um, uh, another band that you may have heard of, the Royal Crescent Mob. 
They were a they were a band out of Columbus, Ohio. They were and they we loved throwing meat at them. And they had they their lead singer hated it, but the other guys in the band loved it and it became a real they, they used to there's some magazine articles that they wrote about us that so it, it it was a it was all it was all over the place. And then probably the greatest band was a, a band called the Foreskin Five Hundred, a punker band out of Denver. And they just took it to another level with we, with those guys. We took it. They just they just ate it up, and we had so That's much a cool fun band with those too. guys. Yeah, we had you, so much. I think fun. you described them as a uh, Rob Zombie before Rob Zombie was Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> they they kind of had that. They had that sound. Yeah, that same great. sound. Great it's, band. I wonder how something like that would go over today because now I watched the Steel Panther video where Satchel stops, you know, because somebody threw ice up there. Like, I wonder if today if that would go over as well, and probably not probably because not. everybody's got cameras and stuff now, yeah, so they can. Probably not. Yeah, it's a it's a whole different. It a little is, bit more sensitive it, right now to that stuff. You yeah, know? it's it's <laughs> weird. Hit with a T bone stick. Like, <laughs> but then I mean, again, you take a band like the Ghost Wolves and look at them. They totally we, we, embraced it, they and we were throwing totally and we were throwing meat at at the Ghost. <laughs> yeah, at the where they they played over by Emmett's, I think. Yeah, outside. Yeah, and then Mar- Marty <laughs> huge had like, crowd. Marty had like a pack of hot dogs. Oh, I had them on a. I had them on a. They were tied together. I got them from Jacob's Meats, and and I was swinging them. Around. It was so much fun. And then the beauty part of the Ghost Wolves was is there's that's another story that's one of those stories that that just keeps on going. Every year at Milan Music, I have people come up to me and they don't forget that night and they go, "That was so cool." And then after it was over, I found out through through uh, the internet and following the Ghost Wolves and on Facebook and stuff that they are, uh, especially Carly is is a is a, a vegetarian, like a strict strict vegetarian. So. Absolutely, she doesn't want to have anything to do with meat, but she got it. You know, she understood that that the meat wasn't a, a thing. You know, that it 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 was a it was a it's a, it was a punk rock thing. Yeah, it, it was part of the it culture. It was expressing yourself yeah. more than it was yeah. anything. And if anybody's going to get it, Ghost Wolves. Yeah. I mean, they're just <laughs> that was so, so much awesome. fun. They called me up on stage to throw a chicken feet at people, <laughs> and it was so yeah. much fun. It was so that much was a good fun. Night. It was a great night. Let's talk. Let's end the picture conversation. So you did a, you took a picture that was actually on the back of a album, a release at uh, David Chastain. Yeah, David Chastain. I did. I used to do a lot of work for him. Yeah. And yeah. that was just something where you were. You gave a picture. You sent yeah. some pictures to him. And yeah, it was really. It was really my first big success. It was one of those things where. I had just moved to Cincinnati, trying to get some work, dinging around. Um, he was doing a show. I didn't even know he was living in Cincinnati at the time. I just saw Chastain was coming to town. And I wasn't working for anybody at the time. And so I went there and weaseled my way in with the camera just by going and pounding on the back door and saying, hey, you know, I'm from out of town. You know, I want to be interested in taking some pictures. And he was a pretty cool guy. So I didn't actually talk to him at specific somebody. And, you know, and they said, yeah, go ahead and bring your camera. And so I did took some pictures, just sent them to him, just sent them to him, whatever the address was on the album. I just sent him those pictures. And, um, damned if he didn't call me and and that just that that photo went all over the world that was actually one of the biggest one of the most famous photos that i ever took and it just happened to be in the beginning of my career and i see that they recently well 2013 they 
re-released the album, a remastered version. Is that something that that you get royalties off of when they remaster? <laughs> or was it? Yeah. A- <laughs> well, <laughs> probably should have, but I I had had no idea they even did that. So I don't. You yeah. know, it was also a very valuable lesson that I learned in rock and roll is if you're not tenacious about your money and and what you're gonna you're gonna end up at the bottom of the pile. It, it was, and it was, it's probably one of the reasons I didn't become like a famous millionaire photographer because business wasn't my specialty. A lot by, of that stuff. By any sense. A lot of that stuff right now is like work for hires and, you know, they, they when you go into a, a, any kind of like a shoot like that, at least now from my experiences, is like they'll pay you a straight fee and they, you know, that ownership is on the band. They, they'll mm-hmm. own, they'll own that content. And that's just kind of how like the industry has shifted a little bit. But I can imagine back in the day, you know, yeah. you kind of have to have your, you know, some of these super infamous images that have come out of rock stars and stuff. Like you got to kind of button well, that up. And the worst part with you that know? was is I had the right contract. I still have the little contract that I signed with them. And I went yeah. back and looked at it one day because I thought, I wonder how big a mistake I made there. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back and looked at it, and the contract was written out was he bought that photo for me for one-time use on that album. He did not own the rights to that. I did. But that photo, he, 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 any magazine that called him and wanted that, that, he loved that photo. And that was the photo that he sent to him. Even though I should have been getting paid for every single one of those. And that thing was a full-page photo in Guitarist Magazine. All over the world it went. And... I didn't care. Yeah, I was just going like, holy, <laughs> look at this. It's, you know, it was so yeah. cool in those days. But I did, I did several. I also did, a, um, I did an album cover on Geffen Records for the band called The Toll. Um, did various album covers on, you know, smaller, more independent bands. So I did lots of that. But mainly it was magazine work, selling photos in magazines is, is what I mainly did. I find it fascinating, like you're talking about the one use just going to a case study in utero being, you know, recorded by Steve Albini. He did a contract, a one-off. Yeah. He got like a couple hundred thousand dollars and the album did really well. It got, yeah, yeah. you know, re-released. Yeah. It's almost, I don't understand why photos are different because, you I know, mean, it's, it's just people think, especially right now, people think, about well, it's just, a, it's just a camera. What does it matter? But, you know, it's, there's a lot that goes into creating that content, you know? And that's why I think a good contract is always the one thing that really, helps things out or your usage or whatever. But again, a lot of the music industry is like the band just kind of, because that stuff, a lot of the bands I work with, the, those photos, like for, you know, Panther, for instance, I'm going to take photos, they're going to use them for t-shirts, they're going to use them for album art, magazine, that it's just going to go everywhere because they want to create all that content right. and just have, you know, be able to present that out there and promote their, promote the band and the, the, the album or whatever. But, and I understand, but for me, it's like, you know, I don't make a huge fortune from working with all the bands. I love it, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of where Marty was at too. Is at the time is like, Absolutely. I don't think you ha- I don't think you have to get really, really, like rich on something as long as your heart is rich. You yep. know what I mean? Absolutely. I tell people that all the time. I'm the richest man in the world, and that's not because yeah. I have any money. It's because I've had the greatest life. I lived my life the way I wanted to all my life, and I'm lucky in that respect. My father was the one who taught me that. He taught me. I, I was. I was work before. After I quit drinking and I was I was just doing photography as a hobby and the Zivco's thing and all that, I was working at Nina Foundry Company, and that was kind of where I sobered up at. And then 
it was it really was a I, I enjoyed that work i enjoyed working there all that kind of stuff i enjoyed that super industrial melt and metal and all that kind of crap but i also didn't see a future there and i was wondering about and i was talking to my father about possibly going back to college and becoming a rock and roll photography and he said you know what he said you're going to get one chance in your life to really do what you love and he said that foundry is going to be there 50 years from now and he said you can walk right back in the door and go right back to work if you want he said i'm not going to tell you what to do but he said you're going to yeah. get you aren't going to get many chances to do what you love you got to put one foot through the door and like dave said for me it wasn't even about making money it was just that i wanted to be in the music business and I wanted to get laid a lot and <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to not have to pay to go to concerts and I had to do and and it was really because of photo passes that really kind of drove me in the business it, end of it that you know you could, because it got to be so tight that you had to you had to have pre-sales kind of your photos you know when you when you started talking to publicists like well i'm working on this for this magazine or that magazine and they could call and check if they wanted to and all those kinds of things so it kind of that's where the and then the money just was you know just was part of it the, the one of the biggest pieces of advice i give to anybody anybody who's thinking about doing something like this is not only do you have to learn your craft, learn business. It, golly, do I wish I had taken some business classes in college. I feel like that's the most of what I do. These <laughs> days, I do more business than it actual is. like camera time. It's and so much. Time. It's so much of. It's important, you know. But mm. and and one thing I want to talk about a little bit about the about my life in the music business is I have these great stories about I got to meet David Bowie and I got to meet Chad Atkins and I got to meet Ozzy and and all that stuff and people always want to know like well you know that must have been insanely cool what's the what's the greatest things that you can remember from about that but it wasn't it wasn't the superstars that that I have the biggest memories of it was the it was the smaller bands I still think my, my greatest story of of the rock and roll business is l7 when i got to hang out with them and, and they made the club give everybody a dollar back because <laughs> they were overcharging the people that was the most amazing night just to just to be there for that and there was nobody there covering that i was the only you know i was the only press in the entire place and it, it was just it was just one of those that was rock and roll man and then um getting to meet judah bauer from john spencer's blues explosion didn't know Judah Bowers from Appleton, but I loved John Spencer, and it was what they were just starting out, and we got some of their music in the in the in the magazine, and I was like, going like, man, I don't know who this is or what they're doing, but this is cool. So they're coming to town, so I went to hang out, got backstage after the show, and just started talking to Judah, and come to find out he was from Appleton, Wisconsin. Well, that just created a relationship that lasted for years and years. That was just really paid off for me it really paid off for me because john spencer just exploded and to you know and he was pretty picky about the people he let around him so it, it was such an advantage to and those were the those were the memories that were you know to me were the best it was th those are that was so much fun and it, it kind of led to the next phase in your life where you happened across uh tara polkadis yep Yep. Tara Polcati. Polcati's yeah. uh, yep. story catchers. Yeah, and that was a that was a pure accident. It, it's kind of through Mile Music. It, it was. Yeah. It, it was through it was him. That. Really, that it, it's it was through him again. That I had known Dave by this time, 
And that was mile two, I think. It was, it was. mile two. Yeah. Did you guys meet mile. because of the photography connection? No, I think Dave at the last at the last the last time you interviewed him, he told a story about. I'll just do this quick. Is my dad when I was in high school in the seventies? Oh, yep. My punishment was, and I got in a lot of trouble, and my parents couldn't control me. So at one point, my dad decided he would shave my head every time I got in trouble. And in the 70s, that was not cool. I was already an outcast, and my dad was shaving my head. And I would come back to school, and people would go, oh, dude, you got in trouble again. And so when I, when I got away from my father, I, I, one time I, was, I started growing my hair along, and he said something about it, and I said, I'm not cutting in my hair until the day you die my friend i said i am gonna grow this until the day and i did it oh and, yeah and when he died i cut i cut my hair off well in the meantime i had met dave and he and he had always told me that you know he wanted to photograph the mohawk and um so he's so i was gonna cut it off so i had a friend of mine who we steve wagner was a mutual mm -hmm. friend of ours and i said can you get a hold of dave because i'm gonna cut this off and so he got a hold of Dave, and we we did the photo shoot, and it it didn't work out like we wanted to. But it turned out awesome. I know, though. and I was I was <laughs> really was, disappointed because I was because he wanted meat. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought props and stuff, but I had red jello that I was using to make my my, and we uh, we just couldn't get it to work. But I, so I put all this jello in my hair; it wasn't working. I was going to throw the bowl of it away, and Dave goes, "No, no, no, save that. We might need that later." <laughs> And so we get done, we, we, we shot some stuff, and, and then he goes, now, wait a minute. He goes, where's that jello? And he gave it to him, and he goes, here, now stick your face in there. And oh, my God. It turned out so yeah, good. Right then and there. It was like right then and there I went, oh, I got a friend for life right here. <laughs> and then he told, and then I didn't know how to pay him back, so because I didn't have any money then, and I knew how much he charges for stuff like that, and I felt bad. And I, I asked him, I was like, you know, well, who, who do you like? What kind of, who's band? I'm bound to have something that he liked. And he goes, I really like Tool. And I was like, oh, my God, do I have that? And, and I, I knew that it was going to be priceless because I knew that people that had photos of Tool were far and, you know, far between. You had to have caught them when they were young yeah. to yeah. be able to get much uh, photographs for them. So I was like, I got this. And that was really <laughs> what. he brought that yeah. frame picture to me and. It was awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so we've been friends ever since. <laughs> yeah. But so the storytelling thing. So Dave, so I was like Dave. Mylon Music, the first year, there's no way this is going to work. This is the stupidest <laughs> idea Hamilton ever came up with. There's no uh, yeah, way was, this uh, is going to work. Naysayer. I didn't even go. I didn't even yeah. go because I thought this is useless. This is a Where's dumb the metal? Idea. Yeah. Well, even <laughs> even with what they were, like, you think these people in Appleton, they go, they'd rather go watch Vic Ferrari than to go watch somebody who's worth seeing, you know? I thought this isn't going to work. And much to my surprise, it kind of turned out okay from what I heard. So year two, I said, well, I got to go out and check this out. And, uh, you know, Dave was working down there. And Tara was, she had a, a, a storytelling booth in the same venue that Dave was in. Mile of Music was paying for the venue back then. So Dave was there. Tara was there. Um, John Adams. They kind of had mm -hmm. this space for people to relax and all that. And it was cool space. And, yeah. And once again, Steve Wagner, my friend, he had he had knew where Jackson was and he had went in there to see him and he came and got me and said they got a storytelling thing down there. He goes, you gotta, you gotta, because I've been telling these stories to all my friends at parties. So I went down there. She just had like a phone booth thing set up that she was recording 
just stories of people yeah. from Milo Music, and it was just a real simple. So I walked in the phone booth, and I was standing there. I was really excited about telling a story, and I'm standing in this booth, going, well, "I don't know. This seems kind of weird, you know? What? I, I, you know, there's nothing to feed off of, and what story?" So I asked her. I said, "Would it be possible for me to tell it to some people?" And she was like, "Sure." She said, "Come back in a half an hour." And I'll take the mic. So she took the mic out of the booth. She just set it up out front. She was recording it. And so I came back, and there's no, Dave was there and, and a couple other people. And so I just went out on the sidewalk and got a bunch of people and said, hey, does anybody want to hear some story? I'm going to tell a few stories. Does any, and I got about 10 people in there and started telling stories. And that was... That and you was, never stopped after no, that. It just, that. That was, was kind your... of the beginning of it. And then Tara, she came up to me right after that and said... You know, well, where are you doing this at? And I'm going, doing what? And she goes, telling stories. And I go, I don't know, at parties and stuff. And she goes, no. She goes, well, where do you... She thought that I was some kind of, you know, that I was actually involved in the storytelling business already. And I wasn't. And I was like, what is there for story? And she goes, go home and Google storytelling in Wisconsin. And that was, I, I mean, the flood yeah, it opened the floodgates yeah. after that. Well, then you you got involved doing some stuff down in Madison at Story Slam. Was that prior to to Dave's uh, setup at Mile, where you gave kind of like a presentation? Um, let's see. Yeah, yeah. It it was um, the first thing. I, the first thing I did was Google storytelling, and then like the next weekend there was the storytelling festival in Lacrosse, which I had no idea, and it's been going on for forever. So I went there and checked it out. Saw some guys who uh, who were telling stories in story slams, which I didn't had no I'd never heard of a story slam, and but these guys were doing and I'm going like wow, you know this is this is pretty good I can do this you know so I went and talked to one of the guys about story slams and he was telling me all about, and he was the one who sent me down to Madison where there's huge storytelling you know crowds down there. And um, he advised me of one to go to that was low-key, kind of like mine, not a lot of pressure on time and all that. And I, and I went there. And so then, so then I got started in that. And then, and then Tara and I started the Story Catchers Live. So her and I together started that, actually doing live shows. And unfortunately, it only lasted three shows for me. What she wanted to do and what I wanted to do were two totally different things. And so I, after three shows, I kind of got out of it. And then it was right after that that Mile of Music came up for Mile 3. And Dave had, a, Dave had a venue and he called me up. And he thought I was still working with her and we were doing the story. And he said, hey, you know, would you guys be interested in doing storytelling at Mile of Music this year? And I was like, oh, well... I'm not really doing that anymore, you know. And I just told him, you know, sorry, but, you know, I don't think I can get enough people. To, I, I don't think I could get it together. So I hung up. And I remember sitting at home thinking, well, you know, wait a minute. This is Milo Music. I have a ton of music stories. Why don't I? So I called Dave back up and I said, well, what about if I do a one-man show? <laughs> and, and he goes, perfect. So, so that's what we did. And I'm going to try to get through this really fast. So we did it. We get it all set up. I have so much, what I did, what I do, and I still do this is is like I'll tell a story about Motorhead, and then I have a I have a photo of Motorhead from the night of the story that I can give away to somebody in the crowd. So I picked four people. I called it the Four Dead Rock Stars, and I did a story on uh, Lemmy, David Bowie, Scotty Weiland, 
and uh, Chad Atkins. And these were all people that I met and all had interaction with, and I had photos from the nights that I met him. And so, but, so I get down to his venue that night, and it was behind the, it was in the, the old crematorium thing or whatever that yeah. is. It, you know, <laughs> and, um, cool venue. Yeah, it was a cool venue. So I get there, and the show's going to start at 7. And, I, and I'm down there, and I'm all set up, and there's two people sitting there. There's two people sitting there, and I'm going like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And Dave's upstairs doing something. All of a sudden, he comes running down the stairs. He goes, can you hold off? Because he goes, friends are coming, but they can't find the venue. And I'm like, no problem. <laughs> and I, luckily, I had the same problem. I had lots of friends. So eventually, we had, I don't know, 30, 40 people in there. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it turned out to be really good. But I can remember sitting there going like, what did you get yourself into? <laughs> How like am the, I going to stand up here? It's like the basement of this warehouse same place where tommy stinson from the replacements played in that base like fire code completely <laughs> out of the door. yeah it was a cool show it and that was, was like that yeah. kind of showed you that yeah you know there are people out there that are interested in in you know hearing stories and telling their own stories you know yeah so it's really cool. and it re then it then it really then every year except for last year because i was on vacation for island music we've done something and it's it's built every year into going out and doing it at venue what you know starting my own show so what what drove you to start your own show was it just kind of may, maybe having something that's more regular than mile of music well kind of and to keep it simple was i got sick of driving down to madison to go to storytelling <laughs> shows all the time so it was kind of like you know it, but really it was it was um it was i wanted to i wanted to bring that type of show to this area because there is nothing i mean even story catchers was not what i'm doing for for people that aren't familiar with like story slams can you explain like what what people should expect if they show up to a, a story slam and do they have to tell a story if they go yeah well absolutely not you don't you know that's one of the beauties of it is really coming to this to come into the this type of story slam where you're telling true stories about your life you it, it's I, I call it I call my I call this impact entertainment where the entertainment that I'm trying to bring to the community impacts the community that it's in because the people come from that and and this is the beauty of my show is it's it's not me all I'm doing is standing up there and providing a platform it that's the great thing that I love about story slams is the entertainment comes from the crowd it's who shows mm -hmm. up it's who walks through that door and tells a story is what kind of night you're going to have you have no idea what's going to yeah. show up and I've seen just being at the show I've seen some people being able to tell stories has changed their life because they are able to get something out of their you know that they've had inside them for so long or it's healing or it's you know yeah, absolutely just, yeah. it's it's a it's amazing the things i've seen with storytelling as far as that goes so so just coming to listen is worth it and it's a free show i would just st strictly run on donations jackson and company helps me out if i'm running short on money so that's always good to have a good sponsor like that <laughs> and um so i i encourage people just to come and come and listen but but like he said telling stories can just be especially if they're really true stories about your life so like i said i pick a theme every month like like for instance tonight's theme is uh family legend you know and and i try to keep them simple and easy themes and and here's the difference between my story slam in other story slams especially the big ones like the moth which is on public radio and that's like the you know the the olympics of story of story slams 
and a, and a story slam is the a real story slam is tr absolutely true story about your life or, or you know some experience that you had of one sort or another now something like the moth you they're strict on following the theme they're strict on following time limits you have to have a five minute story or, or less and they'll shut you off if you go too long where i'm absolutely i could just come and tell any story i pick themes because people like themes and it keeps people focused but I could care less if you if in fact the second show that I ever had the 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 uh um the guy that won was a high school kid from Southwest High School in Green Bay uh Nate Johnson and he told a Halloween story that was not true and he even told me before he got up there that you know I have a story but it's really not true I just want to tell this Halloween story but he nailed it he yeah, nailed the story was great. and you wouldn't have really known whether it was true or not and he won it you know it was just what a for a high school kid to get up there and do that was like psh, heck. probably his first time even telling a story but he yeah could be went and did it you know so like the cool. stories a lot of them are humorous which is good to get mm -hmm. a chuckle but some are are really serious yep. mm -hmm. um, and as far as judging I would hate to be the judge because there's so <laughs> many good stories like are you, are you judging these or do you have a panel no, of people that do yeah. that for you. I, that, I started out judging. Yeah. <laughs> the ideal thing is is just to have somebody from the crowd judge. Yeah. Um, and my experiences with story slams are though I like to have someone. I like to ask. I I go around and just ask somebody to be judge, and I try to ask people who are a little bit experienced in storytelling, just so they understand, you know, a little bit about what it's about. You know, because I've seen some. I've been at story slams where. People should easily should have won, and they didn't just because maybe they didn't have the popular table or who was judging or whatever it was, or you know. And and it's another thing that I don't like about a lot of story slams, like the Moth, is they give you a score. Like as soon as you're done telling your story, and a lot of times, if you're one of the very first storytellers, if if you've never judged a storytelling show before, you you can give people a bad score, and it's like I don't do anything like that. It's just come and tell stories. Absolutely no pressure at all. I try to keep it that way. What's up uh, with the chicken feet? <laughs> well, it kind of <laughs> has to do with me throwing it, and the chicken feet came in came into prominence because I originally started the show, and I was going to have some big prizes. I wanted to have a really, I wanted to, uh, you know. Looking back at it, I'm not sure what I wanted, but I was thinking about having a hundred dollar first prize, fifty dollar second prize, <laughs> and uh, fifty dollar second prize and a twenty five dollar third prize. But I also found out through through uh, storytelling that the bigger the prizes and the bigger the shows got to be, that all of a sudden people started maybe embellishing their stories a little bit. Yeah. Maybe they were pushing a little bit too hard to win that big prize. And I said, you know what? I have to come up with something that is so cool that people really want to win it, but it doesn't have that monetary value. And we I have two trophies in my house, <laughs> all I, because of my wife. Yeah. <laughs> and I came up with the who's number one now chicken foot trophy. Yeah. Which also the chicken foot goes back to at mile music the chicken yeah. foot throwing contest yeah. that yeah. marty and i have every year after the storytelling event which is who can throw a chicken foot the farthest yeah i i got in the drawing for the 
chicken foot throwing last month. And I, I yesterday I was driving home from somewhere. And I said to my wife, I really, I keep thinking about that cake. I really <laughs> was so close to winning that cake. She's like, I she said, get over it. I'm like, well, I just wondered how it tasted. I, I, know, I, I know. was so close. But I mean, there's just lots of fun things at these story signs. It is. I think some people might be a little intimidated, like, well, I'm going to go there. People are going to pressure me to tell a story, but it, it really isn't like that. It's a, a really fun night out and it's a great you get to hear a lot of stories. You get to laugh. And, yeah. and like I said, for me, it was so important to make sure that it, that it creates an impact on the community. So we do, we do non-perishable food drive for the house of hope. It, a lot of months we, we split our pot of donations with, uh, with, uh, whatever group, uh, that I, that we happened to choose. Last month it was the Green Bay Dragons women's hockey team. A couple of months before that it was the prostate cancer support group people. So that's, you know, that that's so much what it's about but if you don't have any the my intention was too is that i don't want anybody not to come because they don't have any money or if you you know if you you don't have to you just come to the show you don't have to bring you know we will we will buy you drinks whatever it is it it i don't want it to ever be that kind of show where where it's ticketed it's 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 always going to be free. my shows are always going to be free and just driven by donation and it's you, gotten huge too yeah I mean, it's just the only thing that i the only thing i'm disappointed in this part, northeastern Wisconsin and, and running this show there is I need diversity in my show. I'm still looking I'm still looking to attract that diversity that that you know that we need. That's the only real disappointing thing that there's been for me so far, but I keep working on that. Question for you, Marty. Have you ever thought about doing stand up comedy? <laughs> it I know that it you know, it's, some people think that sometimes storytelling is stand-up comedy, but as, as if you come to the shows, you'll learn because you'll hear such serious stories, and that's what really attracts me to stand-up comedy. Here's what I don't like about stand-up comedy. What I think the difference is between the two is stand-up comedy is taking something funny, usually that you've, for most comedians, it's something that they've experienced or somebody else's, it's a little funny moment, and then they just build on it with a bunch of stuff that's really just to make it funny just to make it as funny as possible and i don't do that i mean you you throw in little zinger lines that 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 but the story that i tell is absolutely true and um i heard a storyteller once say that he thought the big difference between storytelling and stand-up comedy was is stand-up comedy you end with a joke and storytelling, you start with something funny. And that's very true, unless it's a very serious story. But I have heard stories that, that will just silence uh, uh, an audience. And they just are riveted on on what those people are thinking. So, I, you know, stand-up comedy, I don't know. I mean, I know I could do it, but that's not, not what I, I don't know. Do you have any tips for people that might have never told a story that might help them if they're thinking about telling a story at a story slam yeah well here's here's the biggest and it's something that people really don't think story slams are telling true stories about your life so i consider that to make it a lot easier because you don't have to memorize something that you wrote because it's your experience all you have to do is stand up there and tell your experience every time i tell a story i i very rarely tell it exactly the same every time you you forget stuff you but it doesn't matter it just does if it's a great story it doesn't matter as long as you've got the basis of the story built and the other thing i tell people is to keep it short which i don't do enough of but it's just keep it short and tell a great story and tell just tell the truth 
that's the easiest part to me. You guys are planning something for Mile Music this year that sounds a little special? Yes. Yeah, that should be fun. It's And it's another thing with Dave is after I met him, it was years after I met Dave, probably at least, I don't know, two, three, four years. And I don't know how Shane Krieger's name came up, <laughs> but somehow it came up between us. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know Shane? And I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I go, you know Shane? And he goes, oh, heck yeah. He goes, and Dave used to be a grand shoot cop. So he goes, I've known Shane since that. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And that started us down a yeah. whole nother rabbit hole right I've there. Been, I was friends with shane for you know 26 years but marty oh my god <laughs> how <Yeah>. long <laughs> oh i don't yeah, i would have never been Crazy. in the music business without shane really yeah. he him and i were he was the when i met shane it was like it was like i met an uh, uh you know it was like i met my brother that i never knew you know we were just we were both into music at the time he used to have a tavern in in uh in kimberly called the rock and rye and i walked in there and he was playing uh, a, a band called legs diamond which I had never heard anybody play before, and there was only one other person I knew that knew who they were, and I just went in there, and that just started a connection that in him and I, the in the thing that we became such good friends was because no matter what concert I would want to go to or whatever, Shane was the guy that you could always depend on. He would all if he said he was going, we were going. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and we just, and it's, it's, you know, we both ended up down the same road. Like this is really expensive, so we got to figure out a way. So I went into photography. He started the record store, and, and it, yeah, yeah, we had so much fun. We had so much fun. And so then the Dave connection came in. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. It was like <laughs> crazy. It was. It was really crazy. And then he knew a lot about Shane, and, and so Shane and I. You know, I, I'm I'm not gonna. I tell true stories, and I don't back down from the truth. And no matter how much his family not might not like me saying some things, there was a lot of addiction problems that we had in our lives. And and at one point, I had to walk away from that, or I was going to be in big trouble. And so we spent a lot of years apart that we didn't. And it it was hard. It was it was harder on him than it was on me. I think because I was recovering and I was getting better, and so I could see the advantages of, of what how what that my choice was a good choice at the time. And that was when Dave came in, and he was, and he was dealing. He he was still talking to both of us, and he knew how much we missed our friendship. Yeah. And eventually, he he as you as you know from last year got us back or two years ago at Miley Music, and we reunited after about ten years of being apart. Yeah, that was and, really yeah. important for me that you guys could reconnect. Yeah, and it was. And you know, like I said, I. I, I it's one thing I want to tell people too is, man, if you have the addiction problems, you know, get get them taken care of if you can, because as most of us know, Shane has now passed away, and I don't know the details behind his death or whatever it was, but you know, I know that his life took a toll on him, and and we all know that. Everybody who knew him and went into that store knew that there he had his good days and his bad days, and it was getting worse as time went on. And so, you know, get help because, you know, it's such a shame that he's not around anymore. But so so this year we're planning on Mila Music. We are going to do a true celebration. This man needs a true celebration of life. He was somebody who really drove the music scene in Appleton for a long time. And, and he was, 
you know special person he was kind and just he was you know, he helped out anybody and and he needs a true celebration of life so yep. we're working on that it's gonna be some it's it's gonna be something this year isn't yeah it? yeah it is we're yeah. gonna make it really special this year he, he deserves that he absolutely deserves that and i want everybody in this area to to come down and celebrate his life come down and tell a shane story everybody has him yeah his legacy is just like unbelievable I, I can't oh. wait to hear more details about this. It's like, I really want to pry, but I mean, do you know where it's going to be yet? No, no. It, that's usually dependent on, you know, what we can find for a yeah. space. And yeah. usually I won't know that until like two weeks before my yeah. music, but if, even if it's at my studio, like yeah. we did this past year, then we're going to make it, we're going to make it a, a party, yeah. you know? And it's pretty easy to find. It, it is, it. It was something that kind of sucks about Milo Music is that we have to find our own venue and go down that route, and and it sucks that you don't know what it's going to be until about. But it's every time it's worked out for yeah, us, and, we'll, and everybody we'll who knows us out. can find the information on Facebook and whatnot just before yeah. the show. And yeah, we put it out there yeah. pretty extensively. Yeah. So. Well, I think Jackson and Company, that you know, your setup is something I look forward to every year. And, Normally, something out of the ordinary happens there. It's like we're oh, yeah. seeking it out. <laughs> Needless to say, the predictability is is yeah. always off the charts as far yeah. as not being predictable. So yeah, we yeah. always try to do something different, and fun, and every year, and you know, get a new artist to show some of their stuff in our space, or yep. you know, absolutely. Marty will change it up with you know yeah. different storytelling themes or whatever, and we're just gonna we're gonna it, have we're gonna fun. Make it it's gonna be this is gonna be a great year. Yeah. You gotta come and check it out for sure, and. People want to check out the Story Slam tonight. It's at the Cheesecake Heaven um, up in the Green Bay area. Yep. And you've got a, a Facebook page yep. where you have the events on. It's Meat Man 227. Yep. Meat Man 227 on Facebook. Please, please. As, as everybody knows, if you go and like the page and follow the page, it drives business so much. It, it drives the Facebook business so much better. So for anybody, please go to the page, like the page if you can. And it, you'll find out all the information about the shows for sure. And another thing I want to bring up quick before we we end all this is I want to thank all the people who support me. Jackson and Company's been with me since the start of this. The Cheesecake Heaven who lets us who puts on our show in Green Bay. Uh, Michaela Marie Sweets, who is one of my sponsors, and the House of Hope, who we sponsor, who we do fundraise. All these people are, and and it's growing, and it's going to be something, and. I can't wait. And the other thing is, is the shows run from September through May. So we take the summer off. So we have Milo Music and all that stuff. So, yeah. Lots of great stuff on the horizon and a great body of work that that you have done. It's You've lived a very interesting life so far and with obviously a lot more to come. So thank you for joining us today on the, on the station. And hopefully you'll come back sometime soon. Oh, man, I think we should come back and tell some rock and roll stories. What do you think? That would be great. I think we should. <laughs> I think I can bring some pictures and we should we for sure. And like I said, I appreciate this. I, I love what you're doing for everybody out there listening. Go get the code zero app and start listening to it. It's a great radio station, except that he's got to play some more John Spencer's blues explosion. <laughs> but other than that, 